0: Welcome to AMBO TV. Each week we bring you dynamic sermons from next generation pastors from across the country. And as always, they're bringing a fresh new style to the word of God. And then we discuss them right here in studio. How cool. I'm your host, Dean. Hashtag blessed Windsor. And today we have another great show for you. We have sermons from Georgia and right here in New York. And first up is Pastor Jordan Poole preaching a sermon called conversations with a burning bush. No, it's not crazy. It's exactly what it sounds like. He's talking about Moses' encounter with God in the desert and with that burning bush and what we can learn from the story. And then we're going to go to Rochester, New York with Pastor Drew Karshner at Northridge Church. His sermon is called Ouch, and he's continuing in their sermon series looking at the women in the Bible and the lessons we can learn from their lives and stories. And this week we're looking at Bathsheba. Lastly, we're staying right here in New York and it's upstate because we're going to Poughkeepsie with my friend who holds the record for most Ambo TV appearances. That's right, Pastor Stephen Francis. And he's talking about what it takes to have daring faith. This is a really, really good sermon about prayer and faith, and you're not gonna want to miss it. And I'll be joined in studio by first time guest. Pastor Nicole Smithy, co-founder of Iridescent Women. She's going to help us break down these sermons and uh, help you learn a little bit today. And right now, let's go to Warner Robins, Georgia with Pastor Jordan Poole.
1: There is a desert season for every man and woman called of god jesus had a desert season when he came up out of the waters of baptism the holy spirit not hell not the devil the holy spirit led him into the desert where he was tempted and tested by the devil for 40 days and so now now we 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 need to know this men and women of god that we are called by god and there will be desert seasons the desert you should know this in the desert nothing nothing really of any use is going to grow in the desert So why is the desert valuable? Why is the desert necessary? Because primarily it gets you in a place where everything else can shut up and you can be alone with God to go to work on you. And so he places you into a desert season. He places you into a desert place, a, a deserted place where, where it's just you and him, and y'all start having it out. You ever had it out with God? You ever wrestled with God? You ever went back and forth with God? He ends up winning just a newsflash, but 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 he lets you play around like you got something, like you got him pinned. Nah, you ain't never got him pinned. He's always got the upper hand. So Moses is in Midian, and we see in, in, in Midian, where he actually comes in contact with this burning bush. Now, if we'll lean in, the burning bush actually wants to talk to you today. I know it talked to Moses, but I believe the burning bush has something to say to you. Do you want to know what the bush has to say to you? This, I don't, none of y'all open your mouth. Does the burning, do you want to know what the burning bush has to say to you? There we go. There we go. So, the burning bush, I think, wants to have a conversation and wants to share some things with you today. And the first thing I think the burning bush wants to tell you is to never overlook the ordinary. Never overlook the ordinary. Say, ordinary. What am I talking about? I'm talking about verse one in Exodus 3 it says now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law. that word Moses was or that phrase Moses was tending indicates he had been doing it for some time now. It wasn't just the first day on the job that God spoke to him. he had been doing this job for a little while. you got to understand Moses has been in the desert for 40 years now. He's, he, his life can actually be broken up into 40s. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, or 40 years in the desert, 40 years leading the people of Israel. And you have to understand it's in the second 40. <laughs> it's in the back 40 that Moses is ministered to by God, but we have to understand that he could not overlook the ordinary. Now, Moses had an ordinary job. Moses had an ordinary job. He had an ordinary task. He was working for his father-in-law. Now now, I can't understand how Moses might be feeling. I can only assume and maybe even impose on Moses' thoughts what he could be feeling, based off how I would probably be feeling at this point in my life. Think about it. If you grew up in an Egyptian palace where nothing... Was out of your reach, where you had everything you ever wanted, to now living a life uh, in in the the desert in the in the middle of nowhere, and now you don't even have your own sheep. You're working for your father-in-law and working his sheep. You ain't even got your own business. You got to work for somebody else. You would think a man like Moses would already have something built, something a business built up, and and put into the economy that he learned in in Egypt into his own personal life. But no, we find Moses doing an ordinary job on an ordinary. Day. His job was ordinary and, the, and maybe Jethro's flock isn't what Moses wanted to do for the last 40 years, but he did it anyway. He did it anyway. I've noticed this, watch this, that how God will call people to do extraordinary things that are faithful to ordinary things. I've noticed that. I've, I've peeped that out about God that he will call people to do extraordinary things who are faithful to do ordinary things. Also, God has a habit of using people to carry out great exploits who are first faithful to help and serve someone else's vision. I look at a man like Joshua, who served Moses, who was next up in line after Moses passed away. I look at men like Elisha, who served Elijah. I look at men like Stephen in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, who, who, were, who was faithful to serve and to be a part uh, of all the disciples until that one day where they needed Stephen to, to step up and do more, Stephen was right there. You need to learn about a man named Matthias Matthias, in the, in the New Testament. And when Judas gave up his spot as a disciple, Matthias, was right there because they had to choose somebody to take Judas's spot. But Matthias was faithful. Matthias is never mentioned in the four gospels. He's there though. The Bible says that they chose him because he was there from the beginning. He was there uh, seeing Jesus multiply the loaves and fishes. He was there seeing Lazarus being raised from the dead. He was there seeing the young dead boy being raised back to life. He was there, but you didn't know his name until it came time for him to be used. And that's what God is trying to teach some of us, that if you'll just do the ordinary in an extraordinary way, that he is leading you into something. He calls people. He calls people who will do the ordinary things faithfully. I know it might not seem like, like, like you're getting a, An award or a trophy when you speak over your kid's life before they go to bed and when they go off to school the next day when you're telling them you're a champion you're going to do great things you have a great call on your life son or daughter but something is being planted in them they're hearing a lot of things throughout the day but it's your voice as the as the parent it's your voice as the grandparent that starts to take root in their life so that when they grow old they will not depart from it It's ordinary things that create this faithfulness to ordinary things. And some of you are currently in a place of life that's not necessarily where you want to be or what you want to be doing. But watch this. Your faithfulness in that is being monitored by both your heavenly father and your adversary. Your heavenly father and your adversary is paying attention to your faithfulness. Can they stay with it? Are they going to quit? Are they going to quit again? And they're paying attention. Can you do the ordinary things in a faithful way? All
0: right, Pastor Jordan Poole serving up some knowledge today and with me is Pastor Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: I'm so excited to be
2: with you guys. Yay. Yeah, so
0: let's dive in. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Jordan Poole here is talking about kind of being okay with being ordinary, right? Yeah. Um, I want to just kind of get the crux of what he's saying here. So is it more like we should be okay and content with the blessings that we have in front of us instead of always kind of wanting more and wanting the next thing with a better job or a better car? Is that kind of what he's talking about?
2: Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a big part of what he's talking about and I think it's a big issue in our culture today. Uh, And especially for Christians to try to sort that out, you know, Mm. but I, I go back to Philippians where the apostle Paul, he says, you know, and this is my paraphrase version, but I have found the secret to contentment, right? Like I know how to be content with a lot and content with little, Mm. and it all leads up to him saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I think sometimes we look for um, extraordinary within ourselves instead of finding the extraordinary in Christ and knowing that if we're looking to him, he's actually what makes our life vibrant. He's what makes us overcomers. He's what makes us have a story worth telling in our lives. And I think we see this theme throughout the Bible. We see that actually in Jesus calling some really ordinary men. I mean, these guys, if you understand the culture of the day, right, they were overlooked by society. They were overlooked by the rabbis and the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus chose them. And because he chose them, he saw the extraordinary in them. He called it out of them. They lived extraordinary lives. So I think sometimes we are looking to be extraordinary everywhere and comparing ourselves and trying to find this sense of I've achieved, Mm. instead of looking at Jesus as our source. Because when he is the one leading our lives, then our lives by default will become extraordinary.
0: I love it, exactly. Your life by default through Jesus will be extraordinary. Look, plain is cool, vanilla is cool. I like vanilla ice cream, (laughs) plain is good. Uh, With that, we're gonna go ahead and take a break, but we'll be right back with more AMBO TV. Welcome back to AMBO TV, home of Next Generation Pastors. Before the break, we were checking out Pastor Jordan Poole, but right now I want to get to Pastor Drew Karshner at
3: Northridge Church. Let's go ahead and check him out. Why in the world would we read this and how in the world can we learn from this? Especially like from David's side of the story, there's a lot to learn. Like, hey, your sin is gonna crush you. Don't live this way. But how do we learn from Bathsheba's side of the story when she didn't do anything wrong? She didn't make any mistakes, and yet she still has to deal with all the pain of David's sin. And I think there is some things that we can learn. And today it's gonna, I just kinda wanna tell you where we're going. It's gonna start discouraging, but it's gonna end somewhere, okay? Because when you look at her story, there's one word that screams out to all of us. It's pain. Bathsheba's story is full of pain. And here's here's what I know about my life and your life. At some level, whether it's really small or whether it's really large, our circumstances are going to look different than Bathsheba's. But every single one of us knows that word pain. We've dealt with it. Whether it's small or big in life, we've all experienced pain in life. It's just a reality. And and because of that truth, and in the world we live in, here's what here's the conclusion that we all can come to is we can't expect a life without pain. I told you, it's not gonna start encouraging. You, you came to church this morning to gather as the church. You came to a, a church building or a movie theater or a school, and you hoped on Christmas. You're like, man, I, I'm excited. There's hope this Christmas. And I'm like, hey, guess what, guys? Here's what we're going to learn today. You're going to experience pain. Wow. Good news, right? But that's just the truth. I wish the Bible offered this magical potion or some magic spell that we could all take in. It would sound more like a cult, man, but if we could just take this magical spell and be void of pain, that would be awesome. I wish that was the truth. I wish the Bible offered that to us, but here on earth, it just doesn't. We have to know that life is full of pain. Bathsheba's story was full of pain. Why? Why? So my first question to that point is, why? And I'm gonna give you two answers today. Why can we know that pain's gonna be a reality in life? The first and the the most profound answer to this is one three-letter word called sin. Sin, three letters that packs a punch. Do you realize today that every bad thing in life that you don't want to experience, every turmoil, heartache, pain, tear that you shed comes and is rooted in these three little letters? Sin. Sin is just disobedience to God. Sin jacks everything up. It messes everything up. I mean, we know this because we're all sinners. And we felt the sting and the weight of our sin. And let me walk through whose sin I'm talking about. There's three whose sins. The first one, it starts at the very beginning. We talked a little bit about this in Tamar's story. Adam's sin. The first sin of humanity when God created the world in Genesis perfectly. And Adam chose to disobey God. He rebelled against him, and what that did was it changed the course of the world as we know it. It cursed it by sin, and therefore that means pain and turmoil. We all get to deal with it because of Adam's sin, but Adam started the journey, and we just continued in it. Because you and I, the Bible clearly states in Romans 3, it says, for all have sinned. You, me, all of us, we're all sinners, and we've fallen short. We've all rebelled against God's standard." So it's Adam's sin, it's mine and your sins, but it's also others' sins. This is true about Bathsheba's story. She's feeling the pain of life, and it has nothing to do with her sin, but everything to do with David's sin. Do you realize today, one thing I don't want you to take from this story is just because you're enduring pain right now doesn't mean that you sinned. is a great example of this. It's just because pain comes in your life, even significant pain, it doesn't mean it's your fault. But sin is the cause of pain in our life.
0: All right. Pastor Drew coming from the story of Bathsheba, it's something that we don't get very often. But I mean, his main focus is on pain here. And pain is like kind of a keystone throughout the Bible. It's it's a keystone of being a Christian. But it's like, why though? Like, why, Why is it, you know, to mold us into better people? Or is all of this kind of just like payback for Adam and Eve, you know, eating the apple? Yeah, why go- did they
2: do that? Exactly. They ruined it for all of us.
0: Right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think that's a really uh, important question to our faith because we are going to experience pain. So if we're always questioning why it's happening and frustrated that it's there, then we're going to get stuck, I think, mm. sometimes in, in being able to connect with God through our pain or to find meaning in it. Um, I think pain comes from a lot of places, but a very simple answer is that we live in a fallen, broken world. Mm. It's messy, life is messy. I think we've all woken up to that. Uh, But I also think that if we can have a foundational truth, like know that we know that we know that God is good, then it can help us make sense of the pain. I think when that's in question, then we start seeing God as like, um, he's a a guy who delivers pain to us all Mm. the time, and he's messing with us, and he's manipulating situations, and then it's hard to connect to the heart of God when that's how you see things. So I think it's important for us to understand the goodness of God, and then out of that place, we can make sense of how to manage and deal with and overcome our pain.
0: Yeah, That makes perfect sense to me. And with that, we're going to go ahead and throw it to Pastor Stephen Francis and Poughkeepsie.
4: Sometimes we pray and we get what we asked for. Sometimes we pray for something else and we don't get what we asked for. And then there's even times when we pray for when we forget to pray for something that we should have been asking for and we get it anyway. So what is this whole cause and effect with prayer? How does it work? Why do we do it? I don't think this was something that we just struggle with today. I think this was something that even the people back then who lived with Jesus had questions about. So we see in Luke 11 uh, that Jesus is asked by the disciples, can you teach us how to pray? We see there's a connection with your power and with your prayer life. Can you show us how to do that too? So Jesus first teaches them the Our Father prayer. It goes, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says a lot more, but we're not really going to go into that just because we covered that in great detail in our sermon series, Teach Us to Pray, last year. Check that out online if you haven't heard it. But what I do want to stop and look at is the beginning of that prayer in Luke 11. And he says, and when he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father. Now, when we see our father, we don't think much here when we see our father who is in heaven. But in the original language, this word father here is used to show a close, intimate relationship with a dad. Some translators would even say father here could be said to be daddy. And this is important to understand because Jesus is not addressing his prayers to some ambiguous figure, Jesus is not addressing his prayers to some supreme overlord that lives somewhere in the universe. Jesus is praying to a daddy, one that loves him, that has tender-hearted willingness and compassion towards him. But Jesus not only says that, but then he brings up this parable, and I want to read this here for you guys here. Then Jesus said unto them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. For everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I want to I have a definition here for the words that Jesus uses here: shameless audacity. Shameless, not feeling ashamed about behaving in a way that other people do not approve of. Audacity. The confidence to say or to do what you want, despite difficulties, risks, or the negative attitudes of other people. This is important to understand because Jesus calls this shameless audacity faith. He even brings up a similar parable in Luke chapter 18, and I'll paraphrase it for you. Basically, Jesus says that there's this unjust judge and this widow. And this unjust judge doesn't believe in God, nor does he care what people think about him. But this widow continues to ask him for justice against this adversary that she has. First, the judge says no, but the woman keeps asking over and over and over, so much so that the judge says, even though I don't fear God, even though I don't care what people think, but just so that this woman can leave me alone, I will answer her request. <laughs> what is Jesus trying to say here? Is Jesus trying to say that God is like an unjust judge? Is God is some type of man that's sleeping in bed? That is that we're trying to wake up? Not at all. He's trying to contrast God with those people. If an unjust judge will answer the prayer request of someone who is persistent, if a man sleeping in his bed in the middle of the night will get up and give someone bread because of persistence, how much more will a loving, tender-hearted, compassionate God answer your prayer because of persistence? That is what Jesus calls faith. Shameless audacity. Mm -hmm. I like this. I I really yes, right. So we have to be
0: shameless in our faith and audacious in our witness, kind of right. So how do we take this kind of shameless audacity and apply it to our relationship with God? Yeah. How does that look to you?
2: Yeah. Well, I think my faith increases and it becomes more audacious the more that I actually spend time with Jesus. And I think sometimes we skip that part, we just want to have that boldness without actually knowing the heart of God and spending real time daily in His presence. I think through time in the Word, through time in prayer, through time just devoted to Christ, we get to know His character and he can show us where we've placed limits in our own life. You know, First uh, John talks about perfect love casts out all fear. Well, until we actually connect with perfect love, and Jesus is perfect love, then we can't actually identify the limitations we've put on our own faith and move past them. So I think that the best, bold, audacious, tenacious, resilient faith comes from a place of intimacy with Christ, which is why spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer is never just something to check a box and do. It's about being with your Creator and learning how to live Live big with him.
0: I love that. That is an awesome quote too. People learn how to live big with your creator. I like that, Pastor Nicole. All right. (laughs) TM. We're gonna take a really quick break, but we'll be right back with more Ambo TV. Welcome back to Ambo TV, bringing a fresh new style to the Word of God. Before the break, we were checking out Pastor Stephen Francis, but right now I want to get back to Pastor Jordan Poole. Let's go ahead and check him out.
1: Your emotions have, have data coming in. Nothing wrong with having an, an emotional moment. That you, have, you God gave you emotions, but you need to treat your emotions like data and not, allow, and not allow your data to become exactly the way you begin to act and feel. Your feelings direct the data. So your feelings are directives, your emotions are data. You get to choose how you direct the data. In other words, you are in a sorts, you are in a sort the custom agent of your spirit and soul. You get to determine who what passport gets stamped to come into the country of your spirit. Just because you got angry, just because they did hurt you, doesn't mean your feelings have to say, I'm going to stay hurt, I'm going to stay angry, I'm going to stay mad. No, no. Just because I feel depressed doesn't mean I have to stay that. I will choose the joy of the Lord, for it is my strength. I will put on a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I know my emotions are real. That is data. But I get to process the data how I want to process it. And just because someone else processed it differently and they got depressed doesn't mean that how I'm going to feel no I am the custom agent of my spirit I determine what comes in and what goes out I determine the borders of my soul and so Moses no doubt can feel forgotten just like some of us maybe feel forgotten but then here comes God calling out Moses Moses You imagine No one knows me out here. How does, how does someone know my name way out here? How does, how does I'm not in Egypt. I'm not where I used to be. See, everybody knew me back then. I didn't think anybody knew me now, especially in the middle of nowhere. I didn't think anyone cared. Here's a good one. I thought those prayers didn't even make it through. I thought I'd be unrecognizable by now. Because life has a way of hitting you so tough and hitting you so hard that you can begin to see yourself as I'm unrecognizable to my own purpose. And that's for somebody, some of you think your purpose don't even recognize you. Hmm. my God, I'm unrecognizable by now. Can you imagine the shock that Moses had? How does someone know me out here? Remember, God has not forgotten you. In fact, Psalm 17, 8 says that we are the apple of his eye. Aren't you thankful that we don't serve a God that treats his people like a carton of milk and when it passes a certain date, you got to throw it out because it's gotten too old? Uh, You're not too old, you're not too young, you haven't done enough, you haven't messed up enough. No, 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 God doesn't treat you like a carton of milk and says, no, they're done, they've expired, they're done, they're through, they stink too much, they can't be used anymore. We don't serve a God like that. No, we serve a God who sees you as the apple of his eye. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We serve a God who wants to give you the kingdom for you to operate in kingdom authority as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. So why would he forget where he put you? He knows exactly where you are at. Even if you're fighting addiction right now, he knows where you're at. Even if you were strung out last night, he knows where you're at. Even, Even if your family says you will never amount to nothing, he knows exactly how valuable you are because he gave you your value you. I want to tell somebody, you don't have to kill yourself. You don't have to give in to those thoughts of demonic suicide. No, no, no. You have a God that loves you, a father that cares for you, and he sees you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought you have. He knows every heartbreak you've been through. He knows every failure that you made happen and happened to you. Oh, yeah. He knows the mistakes that you caused, and he knows the things that others have done to you, and yet he looks at you and says, you're my son. You are my daughter, and I am well pleased with with
0: you. Pastor Jordan Poole bringing the energy as usual and uh, I, he's great. Yeah. I, I really want to go back to towards the beginning of what he was saying about you know being this agent, you know kind, yeah. of, kind of being this um this guardsman for your own spirit. Yeah. It, it's kind of I want to compare it to kind of the way we eat and you know we watch what we intake into our bodies because we know it'll make us unhealthy or sick. Mm -hmm. So is that kind of like the same thing here of like kind of almost being a gatekeeper to your own spirit? Yeah. If that's kind of the comparison, how could we be better at doing that?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I think that is a good comparison. You know, uh, Proverbs talks about guard your heart, like above all else guard your heart. So this is a really important thing for us to apply in our own lives. And uh, when I think about this, I think, about it in terms of like soul care. There's actually nothing wrong with emotions. They're really good and God-given. Um, they they tell us places where we need to uh, tend to our soul properly and connect with, with God. Uh, but I think we have to be really intentional, and maybe that's the right word, about what we let in, like what we what we um, are influenced by. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first part is just like do an inspection, you know? If you're struggling in an area or you feel kind of stuck um, in, in a certain place of processing an emotion, then there's probably some influences that aren't helping us there, right? So Uh, music we listen to, um, you know, Netflix and the TVs we watch, and the closest relationships that we open up to, are they actually feeding our soul in the way that draws us closer to God? That's really important.
0: I love that idea. And the content, too. I'm a big, strong believer in that. The content that we take in has a huge effect on our emotions and the way we act. Uh, Right now, I want to go ahead and get back to Pastor Drew Karshner. Let's go ahead and check
3: him out. Jesus came to suffer. And if God didn't protect his son from pain, why would I imagine that he would protect me from pain? Ultimately, this is why we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? Not because there's this baby lying in a manger, but because of what this baby came, its purpose, and its mission on our behalfs. You see, Jesus didn't send his son to to be worshiped and adorned, to be served. No, he sent his son to endure, to withstand, to take on the pain of our sins. In fact, this is what the Bible says, Mark chapter 10. It says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, that's Jesus, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you study Jesus's life, you'll see there's pain there. And what we do as Christians is we often put the emphasis on the physical pain that Jesus endured. So when we we talk about the pain of Jesus, we think of the the nails in his hands and feet, the the crown of thorns on his head. We we think of the the whipping that he took, the, the mockery, the insults. And we're like, man, that was pain. But the truth is, although I bet for Jesus that was significant, it didn't compare to one thing. It was the thing that Jesus never experienced until he was on the cross because when he was on the cross with his arms spread wide, he cried out to his dad. He said, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus experienced, I believe, which was the most painful moment of his entire life. It was when he carried my sin and your sin, past, present, and future, on his shoulders, and he bore the weight of our guilt and our shame and our poor choices, and he cried out to his dad, where are you, dad? But his dad in his holiness, God the Father, couldn't look on his son because of his holiness, and so he carried our shame and our guilt and ultimately our sin on his shoulders. Because the truth is, is Jesus didn't suffer because of his sin, but because of ours. This baby didn't come because it did anything wrong, but because of we did. And here's the part about God that I'm not sure I fully understand. I mean, there's a lot of things about God that I don't think I fully understand. But this is the part of Christmas that, man, I'm not sure I'll ever get my head around. Because I, I'm a father. If you don't know, I have three kids at home. I have two daughters and one son. And, and you, you, you can relate to this if you're a father or you're a mother or even as a grandparent. Like Ashley and I, my wife, we spend a good amount of our time planning and strategizing to protect our children. Like, I feel like that's my job as a dad, is to protect my family above anything else. If I can't protect my kids, I feel like I failed as a dad. That is my job. That's my responsibility to care and watch over them as a father. And here's what I don't get about God. Is God the Father chose to take his son out of heaven and to bring him to earth. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, by the way. And what he did was he was actually taking his son and putting him in harm's way. He was saying, son, hey, I'm going to put you on the path, not to protection, but I'm going to put you on the path of danger and pain because somebody else needs you.
0: All right, Pastor Drew, getting real. Uh, We're getting some really real here. So he's saying he struggles to understand this. I i'm in no way qualified but i always felt that you know god had knew he was giving jesus the keys he knew jesus was going to rule jesus was going to be king jesus was going to be the gateway between us and god so he of course he had to experience kind of the worst of the worst that life can hand you so is that kind of why we have to experience all that pain is it kind of like when you send your kid off to football camp like hey all right you want to play football you're gonna take some hits
2: yeah 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 i uh I do think it's great that we're looking to Jesus to find these answers you know like I think Jesus was really clear with his disciples he said hey if the son of man is going to experience this then so are you like mm. by by default by following yeah. me look to me as the roadmap. map if I have to go through some of this then you're going to have to go through pain and suffering mm. too but there's resurrection on the other side of it and I think that that eternal perspective and that hope in the resurrection is actually what keeps us steady in the midst of pain. To know that pain isn't the end of the story with God. Pain is a part of the process He uses for His glory, but it's never the end. And if we can have that outlook, then we can endure great things. But when we stop trusting in the fact that, hey, it, with the cross comes resurrection, with suffering comes promise, with pain comes fulfillment and comes uh, uh, this ability to overcome, uh, then we, can get, we get stuck without that perspective. But if we can have that perspective, man, then we can learn the right lessons from pain and keep becoming more like Christ on the journey of following him.
0: I love it. See, you have to learn. It's all about perspective. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take another break, but we'll be back with more AMBO TV. Welcome back to AMBO TV, bringing you next generation pastors from across the country. Before the break, we were listening to Pastor Drew Karshner. But right now, I want to get back to Pastor Stephen Francis.
4: Is it to see an unsaved family member come to Christ? Is it to uh, see uh, something happen at your job or in your life? Is it to get over a sin problem or maybe a sickness that you've been dealing with? But there are certain things that if we come to God about and we pray and we believe, maybe it seems like no at first, but eventually it will become yes because of our persistence. Now, like I said before, this doesn't work everywhere. And I recently realized this in my marriage. You know, uh, first off, I need to make a huge shout out. If you're a married man in here and you love your wife, can you make some noise in here for me? Let me know where you're at, here in Poughkeepsie. Yeah! I'm proud to be a part of that team. I love my wife. I'm happy to be married. But I've realized now since being married that there's just certain things to keep a happy marriage that you just have to give up. I don't play video games as much as anymore as I used to since I've been married. I notice I watch a lot of HGTV now <laughs> since I've been married. <laughs> I got a witness over there. And that's fine. I'm happy to give all that up. I'm happy to do that to have a happy marriage. But you know, there was one thing that happened recently that I knew was going to be impossible for me to have without my wife's permission, and that was one of those cool Segway hoverboards that all the kids were rolling <laughs> around with. <laughs> I asked my wife, and she kept saying no, and she was like, what would you do with that thing anyway? And I was like, do you imagine how cool I would be if the next time I preach, I'm on one of these things, that I'm rolling around and all of that? She ain't buy it. I don't blame her. But either way, I wanted it. So I tried to take this whole prayer changes things to heart, and I prayed that God would change the heart of my wife. But instead of God changing the heart of my wife, he changed my heart after I actually tried one of those things. And I actually have a quick video of me trying it that I want you guys to see. Here, real quick, yes. (laughs) It did not work out for me at all. I decided to move on. (laughs) But you know, there's a lot more serious things that we're praying to God about and in Luke 8 we see one of those things with Jairus was to see his daughter healed now a few things that we should know about Jairus once again Jairus was a significant person because he was the leader of the local synagogue few reasons why this is important back then the religious leaders didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was they thought he was just some carpenter boy trying to make a name for himself the second reason why this is important is because Jairus is so significant in the, com- in the community that he's also a person of influence. There wouldn't be such a big crowd following Jesus and Jairus to Jairus's house if Jairus was a nobody. So this also makes us know that Jairus probably had the best doctors in the community already in his contacts. Jairus probably could have afforded the best medications for his daughter, but nevertheless, we see Jairus in a humiliating fashion, falling at the feet of Jesus, begging for him to heal his daughter. And this makes us know this, that faith is born when human effort fails. Jairus didn't have anything else left. And let me be clear when I say this. I'm not saying that we as Christians should not use medications. I believe that we see incredible miracles every day because of the advances in modern medicine. But I also believe that there's some times when the medicine we use doesn't work. Or maybe it's another situation outside of sickness and there's no one who can help us or we can't help ourselves. And it seems in those moments we start to build faith. I think that's the reason why we don't see big things of faith happen in our lives all the time because we just don't really need faith as much as other people do. I don't pray every morning for God to give me the strength to get out of bed and brush my teeth and put clothes on. I don't pray to God every morning to find water and food to eat. Now, depending on who's cooking the food, I'm going to pray that I don't die from the food. (laughs) But at the same time, that's just not at the top of my prayer list because all of that is around me. At the same time, in places like Haiti or some parts of Africa or some parts of South America, all over the world even, there are people that are praying for those things every day. And what's so ironic is that even though many of us have those things that they are desperately praying for in other countries, many of those people in other countries have more faith and also a closer relationship with God than we do. And I think that's because they have the shameless audacity of praying so often. Now, I don't believe that in order for us to have a close relationship with God, that requires for us to go through hardship and to have tough times. But I also believe that we should have a a, a, a shameless audacity with our faith that's also not just for emergencies, which is what we usually use our faith for. Matter of fact, I think faith is a muscle that God gives us that if we don't use it, we'll frail easily. So, how then do we grow in our faith, especially here in America? I think it grows through two ways faith grows from a relationship with God. You know, I'm standing up here talking about how Jesus is this tender hearted, willing, and compassionate person. But, you know, none of that is going to matter for you tomorrow if you don't have a relationship with Jesus for yourself that tells you that. Jesus prays to God saying, our father, our daddy. But most of us, when we pray, it's more of us kind of calling customer service because we have a problem. So how then do we have that intimate relationship with the Lord then? the same way we have an intimate relationship with everybody else. We take the time to get to know him. We take the time to read his word, not out of religious obligation, but so that we can understand more of who Jesus is, why he does what he does, why he says what he says. We take the time to pray, and not to pray so we can just keep asking Him for more stuff. But we take the time to pray so that we can just understand Him more, so we can ask Him to interact more in our lives, and that we can have a closer walk
0: with Him. Pastor Stephen Francis wrapping it up for us, and and I really love that He is addressing Father God. Yeah, you know, it's God the yeah. Father here, and you know I, I want to go a little bit off topic, but not too far. Um, you know because. He's talking about something that's really important to me and, and I think that when we talk to other people or when we are you know witnessing to other people yeah. sometimes we can be a little pushy when yeah. it comes to you know yeah. some of our friends that, that, that aren't believers they're, they're not kind of in the flock yet and this is something and, and pastors pointing this out this is like introducing somebody to a new father and it, yeah. it's a relationship you don't want to just thrust and force on somebody' so, right so like what would be your process? on nurturing a relationship with God, a really healthy relationship?
2: Yeah, to to help somebody else do that, Yeah,
0: or for myself. Or yourself, either or.
2: Yeah, Uh, you know, there's so many great things that we can do on a regular basis, but I think the three most important ones would be uh, reading God's word, and really getting acclimated to it, prayer, and having quality time, and and, uh, of connection with Uh, Christ-centered community with other believers who are actively growing in their faith as well and being real with them. I think we live with too many masks, you know, so be real, ask questions about faith, say this is where I am in my journey of faith and then time in God's Word. You know, there is nothing that's going to replace us knowing truth. Truth sets us free. If we want to get to know Jesus, then we've got to read about Him. We've got to read these stories. We've got to take Him to heart and say, God, what are you speaking to me through your Word? It's not just an ancient book. It's living revelation for us. And so if we want to grow in our faith, then we've got to, like, fall in love with the Word of God. And there's so many places we can start. My sister says, because I'm long-winded, it doesn't have to be everlasting to be eternal. So, you know, (laughs) it's not about the amount of time you spend in God's Word. It's just finding that time every day where it's like, you know what? Undistracted, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to learn something today about God. And I'm going to let the Spirit of God speak to me. That's how we grow in our faith and grow in a relationship with God.
0: I love that process. That's amazing. And while... Pastor Nicole and I argue over who's the more long-winded. We're going to go ahead and take another break, but we'll be right back with more Ambo TV.
3: That no matter what I face in life, no matter what pain I endure, no matter what I go through, I can hang on to the hope of what Jesus accomplished for me. That's a great thing about lineages. Jesus' lineage... Although it was messy, it produced perfection. Or for us, it produced hope. All right, Pastor
0: Drew wrapping it up for us. And as we do at the end of every show with our short clip, I'd like to ask our guests to give us some scripture that kind of ties in to the clip that we just watched.
2: Well, for me, the theme is hope. And Hebrews 6, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, starting in verse 18, says, So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that His promise and His vow will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. I love
0: that. So impactful, so important. Pastor Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Please come back sometime. Oh, I'd love to. It's been so
2: fun. Thank you. Yes, it was a pleasure having
0: you. And to our partnering churches, Hope Church with Pastor Jordan, Northridge Church with Pastor Drew, and Valley Christian with Pastor Stephen. Thank you guys for those inspiring messages. Please keep them coming to see the complete sermons and other great sermons. Head over to AmboTV.com. We always have great content there for you guys. Sign up for our daily newsletter, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you guys for watching. Good night, and I'll see you next week.